0: Welcome to God Mode, Living Life Undefeated. Join us each week as Pastor Chris delivers a message to encourage, challenge, and empower you to live life in God Mode. All messages can be listened to at www.godmode.life. Let's join today's message. Hey, welcome everybody to God Mode. I'm so glad that you've chosen to tune in today. You know, this week as we continue our series called So You're Dead, Now What? We're going to talk about a very important subject of hell. You know, when I was a kid, I went to this neighborhood vacation Bible school. It was in someone's backyard. We had a great time all week. I was a little kid. I ate the cookie, drank the Kool-Aid, had all sorts of vacation Bible school fun. And on the last day, they sat us down in this driveway. And I'll never forget all the little kids. We sat there Indian style and they put us in a little circle. And one of the grown-ups asked us, they said, how many of you know for sure? Close your eyes and don't look around. How many of you know for sure that if you died, you would go to heaven and I thought to myself, there's no way that you can know for sure. I mean, nobody can know that for sure. And so they said, if you don't know for sure, raise your hand. And so we had our eyes closed and evidently I was the only kid that didn't know for sure. Because when I raised my hand, I was the only kid that they grabbed and took behind the garage. And then two grown-ups looked down at me, a little kid, and they said, if you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're going to hell. Hell, hell, hell. I mean, that's the way way it sounded to me. They sounded like that. I mean, I know they were well-intentioned, but when they said I would go to hell, it scared that you know what out of me as a little kid. And I just panicked and I shook free and I ran as fast as I could. Eight houses down, back to my house, came in, hid in the closet and just cried my little eight-year-old eyes out. And I was just praying, God, please don't send me to hell. I mean, I used to pray as a little kid. Don't send me to hell. Don't send me to hell. I'd pray that before I'd go to sleep. Don't send me. And sometimes I'd be praying and I would fall asleep praying and I'd wake up the next day panicked because I forgot to say 10-4 over and out, amen. And so I thought if I didn't sign out and I died in my sleep, because remember, we prayed horrible prayers. We teach our kids, if you should die before you wake up, you know what? You know what? I did this. I gave God extra amens. I mean, during the day, I just say, God, amen, 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 right? I'm like, if I fall asleep and forget to sign off, you could credit one of those amens to my account because I was so afraid of going to hell. So what we're going to be talking about today is very challenging, very uncomfortable subject. Hell. You know, I didn't wake up today and go, oh, baby, I can't wait to talk about hell. I mean, it isn't going to be fun. It is a very difficult subject. In fact, according to my research this week, I found that 74% of people in our country believe in heaven. Basically, three out of four people believe in heaven. But according to this research, only four in 10 people in our country believe in hell. 75% heaven, 40% hell. So basically, it shows our cafeteria version of Christianity. I'll take the good stuff that I like in the Bible, but I'm going to reject the more painful stuff. In fact, I would argue, based on my observation, that the percentage of people who really believe and really understand hell is much, much lower. In fact, I would argue that many of you really don't believe or really don't understand what hell is like. In fact, there was a young girl who was about to get married to a guy and she realized through conversation, he didn't believe in heaven and he didn't believe in hell. And so it, it kind of wigged her out. She's like, I don't know what to do. So she talked to her mom and she said, mom, you know, he's a great guy and I love him, but he doesn't believe in heaven and he doesn't believe in hell. What shall we do? And mom said, I think we can work this out. I think between the two of us, we can convince him that both places are very real. When you get married, the mother said, you convince him that heaven is real. And I'll take care of him convincing that hell is a real place. You know, if I were the devil, one of my top priorities would be to try to convince you that hell is not real. If I were the devil... One of my biggest plans, strategic attacks, would be to convince people that hell is not a real place, or at the very, very least, not to take hell seriously. Because if I convince you that hell is not real, or it's not that bad, then two things would happen. Number one, unbelievers around the world would reject Christ easily, with no fear of God whatsoever which honestly happens every day, doesn't it? And number two, if I can convince you that hell is not real or convince you not to take it seriously, then you would be incredibly unmotivated to share your faith in Christ with other people, which most people who call themselves believers really don't share their faith that often. I mean, really don't. Leading to my argument that most of you don't believe or understand hell. So let's talk about it. I mean, a very complicated subject. There are a lot of things that are not real clear in scripture. There are a lot of ways we could go in our study. But we're going to try to stay relatively high and get a broad view of what the Bible says about hell. So let's start with the most basic and probably the most common question that people ask. And that is, why does hell exist? You know, and truthfully, it's kind of tough. You know, why would God, a loving God, allow a place or create a place like hell in the first place? When you ask that, let me just say this. What does it, does it really shows, what it really does is it shows a flaw in our understanding. It shows that we do not understand the holiness of God And we don't understand the horror of sin let's talk about two biblical reasons why hell exists the first one and if you're taking notes is this hell exists for god to deal righteously with satan hell exists for god to deal righteously with satan and the demons you see a lot of people think that satan is the ruler of hell I mean, they've got this picture, okay, if you die and go to hell, there's the devil, he's got these ears, he's got this tail, he's got a pitchfork, and he's like, ha ha ha, welcome to hell, why are you here? Okay, country music lovers, you go that way, and some of you cat lovers, I'm just joking. But they think that he's like the ruler of the kingdom of hell, but that's not the case. In fact, partially the reason hell exists is to punish him. The words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 41, Jesus said, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for whom? It's prepared for the devil and his his angels, which that's, that's what we know as demons. So one of the reasons that hell exists is a place for God to deal righteously with our spiritual enemy, the prince of darkness. Second reason that hell exists is for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. And here's what the scripture says very plainly: 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 tells us that he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, how will they be punished? Scripture says they will be punished with everlasting destruction. They will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Very difficult stuff. But let's read a little bit more in the scriptures. And what we'll do in most of the rest of our time today is we're going to look at a story that Jesus told. It had two main characters. The story is found in Luke 16. Let's start in verse 19 and we'll meet the first player in this story. The scripture says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in a luxury every day. Let's press the pause button right there. Let's top right there and talk about this guy. Scripture says there was a rich guy. Now we need to understand he wasn't just regular rich. If you read this verse in the original Greek language, you are going to discover that he was mega, mega rich. I mean, there's a phrase that said he lived in luxury every day. In the original language, this phrase could be very easily translated to say he ate the finest of foods every day. And the language implies it's like the best and the most expensive food around. For example, if you think of your favorite most expensive restaurant, Maybe the one you might go every few years or on your anniversary or a place you might go on your birthday or when somebody else is buying because it's so expensive, but you love it. This is where he ate every day. Not once a year, but every day. The scriptures said that he was dressed in purple and fine linens. Now just to wear any piece of clothing that was purple made you off the charts rich because it had to be infused with the dye. And it was incredibly rare for anyone to have enough money to wear something that was purple. That was, that represented royalty. Also he had this fine linen that was very expensive. So some people believe that a single outfit that he could have had very easily more than fed one person for an entire year. Just an outfit, one outfit was worth enough that he, he could have bought with his one outfit, fed somebody for an entire year. So we're talking lifestyles of the rich and famous. I mean, MTV, Cribs. I mean, this guy, he's loaded, okay? Let's meet the second character. We'll find him in verse 20. Scripture says, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. We got a rich guy and we got a poor beggar. And poor Lazarus was covered with sores. So you've got sores all over his body. And he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Just give me the scraps. The Bible says even the dogs came and licked his sores, which is admittedly is entirely gross, right? But the dog, I mean, really was relieving the pain. So now what do we know about the rich guy in this time? If you are way up there rich, this is what you do after you eat. Since you didn't have silverware, you would eat fine food with your hands and then your hands would be dirty. And if you were really, really rich, you would take a loaf of bread and you would use the bread to scrub the food off your hands. And then you would take the other hand slapping and the crumbs would fall onto the table or into a bowl. And your servant would come and take the filthy crumbs and then generously throw the filthy crumbs out to the dogs. Or if there was a beggar, he would get the filthy crumbs. So we know this rich guy wasn't a bad guy, probably a guy much like you or much like me, a a decent guy, didn't have the beggar arrested. He didn't have him kicked off his property. He was generous enough to let him get the filthy leftovers, but he obviously didn't know Christ because he wasn't living out the gospel. Because like many of us, when you compare us with people in the rest of the world, he lived in luxury when there were very people close in very great need. And he did absolutely nothing about it. What happened to these two men, the rich man and the poor man? When, the, when they died, let's pick it up in verse 22. Then the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So the beggar goes to Abraham's side. Most people believe this is the place called paradise. You remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said to the one sinner who you repented, You will be with me in paradise. He was at Abraham's side, he was at a good place. But the rich man wasn't so lucky. Scripture says the rich man also died and he was buried. Verse 23 tells us where he was. Scripture says he was in hell. The Bible says where he was in torment. Now, the Greek translated as hell here is the word Hades. It is the word Hades. And we read scripture later on that death in Hades will eventually be thrown into what is called Limpur. The Greek for be thrown into the lake of fire. So apparently this is a horrible place. And after the judgment, it will be thrown into the ultimate eternal punishment called the lake of fire. So here he was in hell and he was in torment and he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So we've got the rich guy. He's in torment. If you read the whole story, there's a big chasm. He can't cross. They can't cross. The poor guy is on the other side. He's he's doing great. And the rich guy's over there on the other side and he's utterly miserable. Verse 24. So he calls out to him, Father Abraham, please, please, please. I mean, he's begging. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his fingers into water and cool my tongue. Because I am in agony in this fire. So obviously, we can't feel the emotion by just reading this. But you can just imagine what it's like please for the sake of god just one finger in the water dip it on my tongue because i am hurting and it's just indescribable what do we know about hell we don't know a lot but if you're taking notes we know that hell is a place of unspeakable suffering it is a place of unspeakable suffering just a couple of different verses from the new testament that will, will give us a little bit of insight matthew 5:29 the words of Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be what? To be thrown into hell. Now it's, it's easy just to read through that quickly and not really pause and think about it. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, just to gouge it out. I mean, put your finger there and imagine doing this. Put your finger there and just dig it out, rip it out. I mean, we're talking juice popping, eye guts, blood everywhere, rolling down your face. Just rip that out and throw it away. Because that would be better than being punished for your sins. And if that's not enough, he said, if your right arm causes you to sin, cut that off. I mean, take a saw and just saw it off because that would be nothing compared to your whole life be thrown into hell. Okay. I mean, there's another verse that's found in Revelation 14, verse 10 and 11. And this was an angel speaking to those who would worship the beast. And he said, those who worship the beast will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment rises. What does scripture say? Forever and ever. The smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. And there will be what? Their Bible says there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image and for anyone who receives the mark in his name. What does the Bible say about hell? It's called a fiery furnace. It's called the place of burning sulfur. It says hell, in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place described as the outer darkness. You see a lot of people say Well, if I'm going to hell, at least there will be a lot of company there. You know, I'll hang out with my buddies. We'll drink some beer and we'll play some poker. (laughs) Yeah, okay. There will be complete and total separation, isolation from God and from other people. In fact, how do you punish the worst of criminals? What do you do if you really want to punish them? You put them in solitary confinement. You isolate them because that is just utter torture. So you can imagine this physical pain. Just give me a drop that lasts forever and ever and ever. And the louder and the longer you scream for relief, the more you realize that nobody is coming. I know it's difficult and it's harsh, but this is very real. The way scripture describes this place in fact, there is there's a word or place compared to or used to represent what hell is like. And I would like to introduce that word to you. If you haven't heard it before, it's the word Gehenna. It's a word that's used 11 different verses, 13 different times in scripture. And it comes from the Valley of Hinnom, which is a place in the Old Testament that became known as Gehenna. And it means the place of everlasting punishment. Now, the valley of Hinnomah, this was a place, it was a big place there where there was fire always burn. And what happened was, is that was there some people who worshiped a false god known as Moloch, and he was the fire god. And so, at being the fire god... The people worshipped him and they would, you know, he would let him come and they would be this false God. And they were required to take their firstborn son, take your firstborn son and offer him as a, a sacrifice to the fire God. And that's what you had to do. This place, the Valley of Hinnemun, became known as Gehenna, which was a real place south of Jerusalem that became a huge garbage dump. And it was a place where the fire constantly burned. It never went out. People would take the bodies of dead criminals and throw them in this fire. They would take the bodies of dead animals, throw them in this fire. And they would take all the garbage from the city and throw it in this fire. And the fire, it would be so much, it would never, ever burn out. Whenever the wind would shift and move toward the city, the smell was so horrible, it was often said that people wouldn't want to come out of their dwelling places because it just smelled so horrible. Gehenna, this place where the fire never burns out, is compared to what hell will be like. The rich guy was in a place of torment, a place the Bible calls Hades. He realized as much as he begged, he was not going to get out. So all of a sudden, when he realized where he was, his strategy drastically changed. Watch what he says in verse 27. He says to the father Abraham, he said, I beg. And I want you to feel the emotion that would be behind this. I am pleading, begging, throwing myself at your mercy. I'll do anything. I beg you, father, send Lazarus, the poor guy back to my father's house. So for I've got five brothers. And you can just just say it and hear it. I love these guys. I don't want them to be here. And he says, let Lazarus warn them so that they will not also come to this, what? This horrible place of torment. What do we know about this rich guy? He believed in hell. He was there. His life at that moment reflected a very sincere belief in hell. And most of ours, does not. It doesn't. It doesn't because if we really believed in the rewards of heaven that we talked about last week and the reality of hell, if we really believed, if we really believe, not just here, but here, then I don't know about you, but my life would be dramatically different. That's hard to admit, but if I'm really, really honest, man. This is just the gut level truth. If I really believed right here, man, my life would look dramatically different than it does. So, what? Why do we see this story? I've pulled really about four lessons that we can learn from the other side. The first one is this we need to acknowledge the rich man was fully conscious. I mean, in Hades, he was fully conscious. I mean, his memory was active. He was aware of the pain. He wasn't some kind of in some kind of soul sleep. He, he just wasn't. Or this isn't all that bad. I mean, he was conscious and he was hurting. Second, that his eternal destiny was irre- irrevocably to be fixed. He couldn't buy his way out. He couldn't beg his way out. He couldn't work his way out. It was done. His eternal destiny was settled on earth. And on the other side, there was was just no way out. The third thing, and I'm drawing this as my conclusion is, he knew what he was experiencing was just. Notice he didn't complain about the pain, but he never complained about injustice. He complained about the pain but he never complained about the injustice. He didn't say this isn't fair. Nobody told me. He complained about the pain, but he never complained about the injustice. And then the fourth thing that we see from this guy is this. He pleaded for someone to help his loved ones know Jesus. Somebody please. You see, this guy really believed and he really understood the reality and the horror of hell. And I would say that most of us, don't. Most of us don't. Think of it this way. If I were Satan, I would try to convince you that it's not a big deal. Because if I could, two things would happen. Number one, people around the world would easily reject Christ with no fear of God whatsoever. I mean, we see it all the time, right? We see that happening, don't we? I mean, think about it all over the world. It's nothing to take God's name in vain. Nothing at all. You pay good money every day to be entertained by people who take God's name in vain, and you don't think anything of it. Taking the name of Jesus in vain. I mean, the name of Jesus has become a curse word, and many of you use it regularly. People around the world, no fear of God whatsoever. People who call themselves believers, read the word and say, screw it, I'm not doing that. Forget, I mean, yeah, I want Jesus to save me but I don't want to do that. Believers are typically less generous than non-believers. How can anyone reconcile that? 3% of those who call themselves Christians in our country tithe. 3%. 3%. 97% say, I don't want to do that. There's no real sense of biblical stewardship that we are responsible to help people who are in need. I mean, you look at your lives and I look at my life and I go, there's just too much worldliness. I mean, I try not to be. And then I'm like for 30 minutes and then I slip back into this. And this is sickening, sickening worldliness. And I know that my treasure is supposed to be in heaven. But if you looked at my life, you'd say, well, it looks a lot like it's on earth. And I know that it is true for a lot of you. I know it's true. Second, if I was the devil and could convince you that hell is not a big deal, you wouldn't share your faith and those of you who are Christian, most of you don't you don't some of you you've got a mom or a dad who's not a believer or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter or a best friend or someone you work with. Or someone that you see every week at the gym or someone you went to school with and you haven't prayed for them in over a year or maybe not even prayed for them at all. You haven't talked to them about the love of Jesus or really showed it. Because you don't look much different than the people who don't believe in Jesus. In fact, some of them look better than you. Which is why I would say that most of us really don't believe And I'm going to put myself right there in the middle of them because I tell you that I believe here. But if I really believed here, then my life would look dramatically different. And it must. It's got to. I don't want to do it for the next 20 or 30 years and live like this. I just beg some of you to step across the line and say, we're going to die to ourselves and live for Christ. I plead with you because everything else is going to burn up in the end. I plead with you. You know, Charles Peace, he was a a big criminal murderer who finally got convicted for his crimes in the 1800s, England. And the day he was scheduled to be hanged, He was visited by a chaplain who went through the typical chaplain spiel, which is, you know, you need to know Jesus and, you know, you got to go to heaven. If you don't, you're going to hell. And the chaplain was going through this deal. And Charles Peace, who was moments away from dying, said, excuse me, do you believe that? And the chaplain was like, well, uh, yeah, I think so. And he was like, wait, wait, you're telling me that I'll go to hell and hell is a real do you do you really believe in hell and the chaplain says well well i think so and i want to read to you and i put this put this somewhere in your heart in your spirit your notes charles P. said this and i think this is profound he said sir i do not share your faith but if i did if i believe what you say you believe Then although England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would crawl the length and the breadth of it, hand and knee, and think the pain worthwhile just to save a single soul from this eternal hell of which you speak. If I believed in this place, as you say, my life would reflect it. Let me tell you, you want me to tell you what freaks you out? freaks me out. As I read and studied this week, what I read about who Jesus was warning about hell in the New Testament, when I read about who Jesus was warning this, let me tell you who he wasn't talking to. He didn't talk to the tax collectors who are known as the worst sinners. He didn't talk to the drunks, didn't talk to the prostitutes. Do you know who Jesus talked to? The religious folks, the Pharisees, that's who he warned those who claimed faith but didn't live it and that's very sobering to me either we believe it or we don't and if we do our lives should be dramatically different god i pray i really pray you would move us deeply God, for those who know you, I pray that you would be stirred deeply. And for those who don't, I pray that they would be drawn near to you, that we could meet you today. Some of you, you're going to recognize right now that you're probably not taking this whole deal seriously. That you look at your life and it appears to be more earthly than more heavenly. That your priorities are really not those of eternal ones. That most of what you do would probably burn up in the end anyway. And you say, like I would, God, have mercy on me, forgive me, and give me an eternal perspective. And if that's you today, would you just humbly and repentantly lift your hands right now, wherever you're listening, no matter where in the world, just lift them up to those of you who would say, you know what? I've got friends or people that I love that are far away from God, and I want to pray for them today. I want to make a difference in their lives. Lift your hands wherever you are, wherever you're listening, all over the world today, and pray. I mean, I just believe that God would want to do something, and I pray for those who may be like me. Maybe you recognize that there's more to this life than what I'm living And God, we ask that you would help us to set our minds on things above, that you would give us true eternal perspective. And God, that when we really, really believe in the rewards of heaven and the horrors of hell, God, that our lives would be different. And God, we pray for those that you've put around us who are far from you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them close to you. We pray that you would put people in their lives that could be an example and show them the love of Jesus. We pray, God, that you would use us and God give us those divine opportunities to reach out, not just in words, but also in actions and to show a very real life-changing love of your son, Jesus. And God, for those who are far from you right now, we pray that they would draw close to you. And if you don't know Jesus and you just happen to listen today, Take the step close to him. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Ask him into your life because you do not want to be in that place like the rich person. So today I just pray and I I know this was a tough word and I know it was hard maybe for someone to hear. (laughs) Probably some of you turned it off and then I hope and I'm praying in the spirit you'll turn it back on and listen to it through again because we need to know in the realities that we face. I hope that you listen. Hey, got some better time. We're going to be talking about heaven next week. So, you know, if this was hard, it's going to get better. But I really believe the church stays too far away from the things that we need to talk about, the things that really face reality in the future. And we need to hear this word. Share this word with some people. Really do share it. I I believe this is an important word that needs to get out there in the community of uh, Christians and around the world and non-Christians alike. God bless you. And we'll see you next week. And remember, in God mode, you can live a life undefeated. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. You can hear all of Pastor Chris's messages at www.godmode.life. Join us next week as we continue on in this series. Please leave a review of this podcast at and Mat- hotchaser.com. chaser with god Jesus Christ, check it